0: Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Steven. And we're going to be revisiting the films we've discussed in the last five episodes, addressing comments from listeners and members of the Facebook group, and of course, picking the next round of movies we'll be discussing on the podcast. But first, let's introduce ourselves. So, Mia, have you watched any movies since we last recorded?
1: I have. Um, so a couple that I watched are Fast Times at Ridgemont High and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, I'd seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High before, but it's been a really long time. I definitely remember watching it on dinner and a movie on TBS back in the day. So I probably saw like a super edited version. Um, so, yeah, it was great. Like Baby Jennifer Jason Lee was awesome. Yeah. Um, Baby Sean Penn, also awesome. So yeah, that was like a fun little trip down memory lane. And then Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I've been on a big like Prairie Western kick um, pretty much my whole life, but it's flared back up the last like couple weeks. So uh, we watched that. You should get it looked at. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounded like it
0: was herpes or something. <laughs>
1: Did you like it? Yeah, it was really good. It's it's kind of really? dark. Um yeah, well, Jeremiah and I had been watching all the Cohen Brothers movies, and then we'd sort of fallen off from that project, like, I don't know, a couple months ago. And so this was one of the ones we hadn't gotten to. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely kind of dark, um, especially the one with Zoe Kazan, I was a little heartbroken about. Um, it's a bunch of short films, basically, in one giant movie, like chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, so for folks who haven't seen it. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. I think if you like the Coen Brothers, you'll like it. If you don't like the Coen Brothers, you probably won't like it. If you don't like the West, you also won't like it. Um, But yeah, those are my movies. So let's talk about Fast Times for a second. I am so –
2: to me, I feel like it's so dark. Yeah. Did it sit that way? Did it leave that kind of a –
1: Well, yeah. So we listened – we watched it because we had – we went to Louisiana last weekend to visit Jeremiah's family so we had listened to which movie podcast is it Unspooled and they were talking about it and they were also like oh compared to all these other 80s teen movies this one is so much I don't know if they explicitly said it was dark but like more realistic and it's not this it's not a rom-com it's not like oh this happy ending at the end it's more of like very slice of life, which, you know, Cameron Crowe wrote the book that it was based on of, and it was him pretending to be a high school senior for a year and shadowing these kids. So makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a little, I don't want to say night- depressing. Nightmares but... about that movie. Oh, really? Okay. I don't, Yeah, I didn't find it that dark, but it's, it's not like a fun 80s bop kind of movie. It's got,
2: but it's got all of those aspects, but it's kind of, I don't know. I just remember, just being like, "Whoa, that's some heavy shit."
0: Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> dark. Um, in in addition to those, I also watched *Tenet*, which it's a movie. Uh, then I, I saw *Star with Trek*. A name that yeah. starts
2: with a T and ends with a T.
0: Yeah. Hey, it's almost as if the <laughs> name goes forward and backward at the same time.
2: <laughs> what do they call that?
0: Uh, palindrome. No yeah. Whoa, and and it's like about it's about a guy who can go. Backward and forward at the same time. What do you know?
2: Amazing.
0: Anyway, Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. I also watched to kind of round off my original cast movie binge. Although I did skip uh, Final Frontier because that's a piece of shit movie. Uh, I also watched Bamboozled, and uh, I guess that's it. Yeah, Bamboozled was interesting. I that's one. That's a Spike Lee movie I had not seen. And I was glad to catch up with it because that's a movie that I feel has gained a reputation over the years after when it came out, people kind of didn't know what to do with it. I felt like, and it's a very interesting movie. There's a lot to, to really dig into with it. And I thought it was
3: very impressive. Yeah. I saw that a long time ago. Is that the movie that they shot all on DV? Yeah. They DVD? shot it in
0: DV. Which probably is the only way that movie ever got produced, you know? It was hard to get
3: financing, I'm sure, for for that movie.
0: Yeah.
3: It's a really good movie, but it is like when you see it and you saw the previews for it, it didn't really match what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was very good. I remember really liking it. And it's it's a couple of hours long, right? Isn't it like two and a half hours or something?
0: I think it's just over two. I don't remember the exact length. But I I watched it on the Criterion channel, Mm -hmm. and I think it's like a lot of those movies that were shot on DV and then everyone sort of kind of kicked them around a little when they came out in theaters in the late nineties, early two thousands, they look better on TV though. So Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. they, they didn't look great next to other movies coming out at the time, but revisiting them on TV is kind of a better experience. I think I didn't see this in the movie theater, so I can't vouch for it, but I was, I went into it kind of expecting it to look bad because it was shot on DV and I didn't really mind it that much. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. noticeable that it's like a lower res format, but Mm -hmm. it's, it didn't bother me. It didn't take me out of it too much.
3: Yeah. Um, So Steven, how about you? Um, I saw the justice league Snyder cut a uh, 4 hour movie. Um I liked it overall. It still was too long, um but it but it helped set everything up a little bit better and the characters were more drawn so that helped and that helps when you have a 4 hour movie to do. Um and I also saw Charade with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. Um that was a 1963 movie. It was yeah. really good. I really enjoyed it a lot and they said it was like I thought it was a Hitchcock movie for a really long time but they said that it was like it was the best hitchcock movie that he'd never directed i think that's what they were saying about it but it was it was great i really enjoyed it and then actually uh,
2: on my television set right now (laughs) (laughs) i watched i watched that movie like a blanket
3: oh really yeah something good on yeah it's it's really i'd never seen it before it's been on i've been using this uh podcast kind of an opportunity to visit old old movies that i've never seen that i've heard a lot about so that movie came up and I, I really enjoyed it. Um it was one of those that I was like, why did it take me so long to watch it?
2: With Walter um, Matthau?
3: Yeah, yeah. Every it was so many Walter. twists and turns and it was still funny. The tone was a little strange in parts, but overall it was it was fun.
4: I saw that movie at um Bryant Park. The oh, yeah. the one you used to go sit in the park on like mm-hmm. Monday nights, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. That was like what the only the only one that I remember. I went to several of them, but that one like always stuck out to me because I just thought it was so funny. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I yeah, I walked into it not knowing much um, and and I really enjoyed it. And then the last movie I saw was Smokey and the Bandit, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. <laughs> and I, I went to the theater to see that with my dad, like he took me and my brothers. And we watched that movie when it came on TV, like every year. And I hadn't seen it in years and still enjoyable. Sally feels like a baby in that movie. She's such like... a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's just a fun movie. It's there's there's nothing really hard to think about in it. So
2: Burt Reynolds really did have something you wonder oh, yeah. like when you a think that you're
3: like so
1: a very hairy chest yeah
3: <laughs> he did like he was definitely <laughs> a star yeah. back then he yeah he that movie like he's, he's got a, that charm mm-hmm.
0: yeah so charade you know there's a remake of that by um jonathan demi yeah oh, i guess not very Tandy good Newton, yeah it's not it's called the it's truth like- about charlie it came out in 2002 um oh. Yeah, it's the first of a couple of remakes that he did, because uh, yeah. then he did uh, Manchurian Candidate, which is a much better
2: film. Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, still not as good as the original, but anyway, no. that, that's out there if you want to <laughs> avoid it, Stephen. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I might check
3: it out. But now after hearing that glowing recommendation, <laughs> I'll let it die. Um And Alicia, how
0: about you?
4: Um, I watched two movies this week. I watched an American werewolf in London, which um, I've seen before, but I don't know. Maybe it's one of those that I also like to watch for sentimental reasons, even Mm. though it's very much not a sentimental movie. But um, I think it's just nostalgically kind of fun for me. But um, I always forget that it ends so abruptly. I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but it ends like really abruptly. (laughs) And I'm always like, oh, oh, yeah, that's the end. (laughs) Mm. So if you haven't seen it, um, I would suggest it It's um, if you're not too squeamish about horror because there's definitely some gross stuff in there. Um, and then the other movie that I watched was The Madness of King George, um, which I just love a costume drama, uh, especially a British one. So I've seen that one several times. And I don't know, I guess I was interested in just seeing, revisiting some familiar stuff this week. Don't know why.
0: <laughs> and Laura. <laughs>
2: I watched The Farewell. Um, Mia mentioned it a couple of weeks, a p- couple of podcasts ago. Um, the director Lulu Wang and Aquafina played a nice subdued performance. It was done very well. Nice. There was one thing that I would have changed, <laughs> but I can't mention it without spoiling the entire thing. Oh, okay. so.
0: yeah. There you go. I, I think I bet I know what it is. Let's 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 uh Let's Should we spoil it? There. No, everybody, let's not spoil it. Let's
2: not spoil I'm it. I'm totally fine. We like guys skip this part. No. Well, but,
0: I don't know if everybody here has even seen. It. I can't so, skip this part. <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh yeah, so, so, sorry. Okay, fine. I'll message you after and see if if it's what I think it is. I you're probably right. Yeah. Okay, so for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made and that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022, so we're basically using that as our excuse to watch some classic movies ahead of it. We invite listeners to take part in the discussions by watching along and sharing their opinions in our Facebook group by emailing or by leaving a voice message on our anchor.fm show page. And this week is sort of an in-between episode. We thought that after discussing five movies in a row, it might be a good time to look back on those and respond to some feedback we've received so far before picking the next round of movies we'll be focusing on. So at this point, we've discussed The Passionate of Joan of Arc, The Magnificent Ambersons, Citizen Kane, Tokyo Story, and Rashomon. So does anyone have anything they want to bring up related to one of those, something you may have thought of later or just forgot to say when we were recording, anything along those lines?
3: Overall, like, yeah, I, I think that they're all so different movies. Um, but in terms of the one that I was thinking about later was um, The Magnificent Ambersons and how the ending didn't really sandbag any of the critics' liking of the movie because I thought the ending was so awful that, and it was so totally off from the rest of the movie that it still was appearing on a lot of different lists and it still does to this day. And for me, it almost ruined the movie for me. You know, so th- that was one of those things that I was—I really would like to pick their brains about. I thought that was really kind of interesting.
4: I agree, one hundred percent. That was actually almost word for word what I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> because the more I thought about the movies we've watched so far, the one—the one thing that was really stuck sticking with me was that when I first watched the movie, I was like, "Okay, this is you know good, like whatever." We'd only—the only other movie we'd watched was. Um, the Passion of Joan of Arc. But then after we watched Tokyo Story, we watched Susan Kane, we watched Rashomon, I was like, The Magnificent Emerson's really does not stand up to these other movies, in my opinion. And I I don't even think it needs to be on this list at all. I think it's just more about the, the, the legend around the movie than the actual movie.
3: The filmmaking,
0: right? Yeah. Well, one thing that kind of stuck with me from our discussion of that movie in the episode was, I, I think we were talking about the mother character. Um, I can't remember her name right now, but I think we were like trying to justify why she was acting a certain way. And at some point, Laura said something like, but that's not in the movie. And I was like, oh yeah, she's right. That's not it. (laughs) And I feel like that's kind of (laughs) Mm -hmm. along Mm -hmm. the same lines of what you're saying of like, people attribute all this stuff to it that isn't there because they just kind of wonder about what could have been. And it is, I think, so much about the, legend of it, as opposed to what's actually been available to see as a movie, which is kind of a shame, because um, I, I do think, like, whatever Orson Welles would have done himself would have been better, probably, but it's not what exists, so I, I mm-hmm. kind of agree with you that, that the movie probably doesn't deserve as the thing that exists to to be on the list. And I don't think it's been on the list for a while now. I yeah. have to
2: say, I, since we don't know the Orson Welles cut or right. what his original theory is, as I said in when we talked about it, I don't know if, if his version would have been better or just more drawn out and just more
4: melodrama. Mm-hmm. I, I really, we'll never know. I we'll mean, never we'll, know. we'll never know. So it's kind of not worth even... I don't want to say it's not worth discussing, but, but because we don't know, it is almost kind of not worth discussing because we just don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I so agree.
2: Then let's just not discuss it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I <laughs> just conversation over. This podcast over. is over. It's not <laughs> what I meant. But. I just wanted to say one last thing about it. I really do think that this is probably one of those things that you can just chalk up to. Like, if you look at when it was on the list, it was in 1972 and 1982. And that was, I think at a time when there was a big Orson Welles revival because Peter Bogdanovich had been doing these interviews and this book had come out and stuff. So I think that there was like a reevaluation of Wells or a reappreciation of him. And that kind of swept up Magnificent Ambersons as this lost masterpiece in some people's minds that they just kind of imagined to be better than it unfortunately is. but mm-hmm. yeah, Laura might also be right that maybe it just
3: would have sucked anyway. <laughs> but...
2: I don't know. Just like...
3: <laughs> yeah, my feeling was if it had just kind of ended with the sun, like in that room where everybody forgot about him, that would have been like a sad ending, but it would have been a better ending. I feel like it just just the the happy ending at the end or like, oh yeah, it's all hopeful, but it all seemed to happen off screen. Mm-hmm. You know, even what it what would have happened at the end if we had actually seen that play out, mm-hmm. sure it wouldn't have really rang true to the rest of the movie, but at least it would have in something, I feel like, instead of just hearing about a second hand from two characters that were out in the hall, you know? Right.
4: Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree. I think if we had to ax one movie, which I know that's not what this podcast is about, but it would definitely be Magnificent Ambersons out of the five we've watched so far.
0: Did anybody else have anything they wanted to bring up about any of the movies?
1: I personally
2: have been thinking a lot about Citizen Kane and how the way they portray. Um, the Marion Davies character and how cruel it is. And I mean, it's successfully done. She does an amazing job, but at that time, you know, she was well, she was well loved. You know, she had this amazing reputation and potentially, you know, supposedly a lot of talent, even though Hearst kept trying to make her into, you know, a serious actress. you know, and sort of along the same lines as as Kane, and that he wanted to be taken seriously, et cetera. But it's just pretty cruel. Uh, you know, I don't know. Just imagine what that would have done to her, I think.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Because she did eventually have a lot of, you know, a drinking problem and a lot of issues and stuff. And I just don't know what part that movie or that portrayal might have played in it. So I've just been thinking about that.
0: Since you said you've been thinking about it since we watched it, has that sort of diminished your view of the movie overall?
2: No, no. it's, you know, to me, it, it's a great film. It's just, but in some level, I think there's a cruelty element to, a, to the Wellian way of making films that maybe goes hand in hand that you just kind of need to
4: accept It's kind of that thing like when young people talk about old people in in like kind of a cutting way (laughs) Mm. and they just don't think about it. They don't think how like, mean, it's, I mean, maybe they don't even mean it in a mean spirited way and maybe he wasn't thinking about it in a mean spirited way. He was just trying to like be honest, but sometimes you just, when you're young, you don't realize how, what you're saying really affects like real people. Just because mm-hmm. they're old doesn't mean they're not real people with real feelings. And I thought that was kind of that was something that I thought about in relation to that character and Marion Davis in real life also.
1: Well, and celebrities too. You know, like yeah. people will say
0: yeah.
1: horrible things sometimes. And it's like, you know, yeah, the they're end, not human. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, this person has, you know, more money than all of us will ever have combined and all of these things. And, you know, I'm sure they have to just have that wall where they're going to block off like everyone's random opinion on their partner, their pets, their clothes, how they looked on their worst day, how they look in a bikini, like everything. Mm-hmm. And but like, you know, yeah. imagine you go grocery shopping and you see these magazines like saying all these things about you. It would be horrible.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that kind of makes me think back to our first movie discussion on of Joan of Arc and how we brought Britney Spears into that mm-hmm. because we'd all just recently watched that recent right. documentary about her uh, which I think touches obviously on a lot of what you're saying yeah um so I was gonna bring up something also related to Citizen Kane because I I totally had forgotten about this uh but for some reason it came to mind in the the week since we recorded that that uh, who's seen Velvet Goldmine I've seen it okay. yeah I've seen it So, I mean, that that movie basically lifts its structure straight from Citizen Kane. Um, It's basically the same, like, frame of a story, you know?
2: So does Eddie and the Cruisers.
0: (laughs) I've never seen Eddie and the Cruisers. It does. Okay. It's the same. That makes makes something I read about it earlier uh, make more sense, where someone called it a mashup. They called the Velvet Goldmine a mashup of Citizen Kane and Eddie and the Cruisers. And I thought they were just talking about, like, the music from it, because I've never actually seen that movie. But um okay, that makes more sense now. Yeah. But I guess that got me thinking though, because we talked on the podcast a lot about how he's just kind of a shitty person, Kane, you know. Mm-hmm. And for some reason thinking about it as thinking about it in parallel to Velvet Goldmine made me think about like what I like or remember about the Velvet Goldmine, because I haven't seen that movie in probably fifteen or so years. And I don't really remember that much. Of Jonathan Rhys myers in that movie, I remember more like Ewan McGregor as the Iggy Pop type character. Mm-hmm, I remember mm-hmm. Christian Bale even as mm-hmm. the reporter or writer who's like trying to get the scoop on what happened to this guy, right. and yeah. which is in itself is kind of a, a something that's different from Citizen Kane because, as we talked about there, we don't really ever clearly see the reporter. Yeah, yeah the reporter. He's barely a character. He's just more sort of like this narrative through line for us. Um, But that got me thinking that like I, even in Citizen Kane, as big a character as he is and as despicable as he ends up being through and through really like to me, the, even if you don't like that character, all the other characters we meet along the way are just as valuable and interesting. Like Joseph Cotton's character is super interesting. Um, I think even Bernstein for the little bit, we see him is interesting and then Marion, uh the Marion Davies character uh is is probably the most developed of the of the lot, I, I would say. Um and I I don't know. It just got me thinking about that is that he's almost like sort of half a MacGuffin of just like trying to get you to all these other places and other people to, to view.
4: Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen Velvet Gold Mine too. I'm trying to rack my brain to like remember details from it. <laughs> I remember really enjoying it because I really loved Ewan McGregor um, just in general. That's the only reason I even saw the Star Wars prequel movies. Just because <laughs> I love Ewan McGregor. But um, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about him in that way, the character of Citizen Kane in that way, uh, especially compared to Velvet Goldmine. I hadn't made that comparison at all, but um, yeah, I think that,
2: I think that's valid. I remember really wanting to like the Velvet like Goldmine and just sort of not, um, I love the director, Todd Haynes, and what he was, I felt like I could tell what he was trying to do, but I think, and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it was based, it was going to be about Bowie, but then all the Bowie rights got taken away and so we mm-hmm. had to create this other thing. And um, yeah, that's, and this is what we've got. And I just never really dug it all that much i'd rather watch a suede video you know like (laughs) like metal mickey and hang out with that
0: right well that's my understanding too though is that he wanted to make a bowie movie and then couldn't get the rights or i don't know if he had them and then lost them or or he just never was able to get them but right went this way instead and I think there were threatened lawsuits anyway because he's like you're obviously making a movie about me without making a movie about me mm-hmm. um anyway <laughs> so it's, it seems like it's the wells <laughs> movies that we have thought about the most maybe then i don't know
2: interesting yeah,
0: yeah. well I, I how about we just go around and just like say that i because i would think that for me personally even though like i brought up citizen kane and we talked about it here the movie that i have thought most about is probably tokyo Story. And I don't know if that's because it was the one that was new to me out of the bunch or just that it was like in some way, the it had the most potential for me to like think about because it was new, I guess. So I'm just going to answer my own question and say that's what it was. But um, (laughs) anyway, was it Citizen Kane or Magnificent Ambersons that you thought about the most? Or was there another movie you thought about most?
4: Mm, I think I I probably ended up thinking about the Magnificent Ambersons the most just because it As I said before, the further we got along in the process, the more it like bothered me Mm -hmm. that it was on the list. And maybe this is like more of a comment for the conversation about the list itself. But um, I, I just feel like especially since there's no female directors and there's no like people of color that have directed any or, you know, there's no films that have been directed by people of color on the list I mean there's a, there's a few films by Asian directors but like other than that there's there's no like black directors there's no um like native american you know like there's there's not a lot of diversity on this list mm-hmm. so especially considering that I feel like this movie does not need to be on it there right but as far as what movie I appreciated the most definitely Tokyo Story because yeah like I, the same reasons as the as you probably. I had never seen it before. It took me by surprise. Even like while I was watching it, it took me by surprise. And I really loved it. And it's at the top of my list so far. I'm doing my own ranking um <laughs> as we're going through. And Tokyo Story is at the top. And Magnificent Ambersons is definitely at the bottom right
0: now. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, Mia, what movie have you thought about the most?
4: I also
1: probably thought about Tokyo Story the most. I think it was so like slow while you're watching it and but it just left me with like so much to really reflect on and think about later. Um and I definitely had similar thoughts to you Alicia of when I was thinking about like what would I say about this poll is like I mean, you know, I think I said this in the intro one, but like there's no women, there's an appalling lack of diversity on this. So then when you see like a just not that great movie by a man. I'm like, oh yeah, men have made a lot of bad art and it's held <laughs> up by directors and critics. <laughs> um, so yeah.
0: Then uh, Laura or Steven, do one of you wanna answer that question or do you feel like you've already hit it?
3: Well, I would say out of the, the ones that we'd watched so far, The Magnificent Ambersons was sort of like a question mark, even though I'm the one who actually picked that movie. Um, It just kind of reminds me of those movies that it seems like everybody should like, and it's just on lists just because they're grandfathered in. It's like those Oscar winner movies that you're just like, well, all the parts are there, so it Mm. should be good, right? And then you sort of watch it, and you're like, I guess it's good. But then the more (laughs) you think about it, the more it just doesn't make sense that it's on these lists. (laughs) So that's um, the movie that I thought the least about, other than just being kind of angry at the end. (laughs) <laughs> um, but the movie that I liked the most, I think, was Tokyo Story, just because it felt like a real story, too. Like, you were on this journey mm-hmm. with, a, with a bunch of people, and you're getting to know them. And not everybody was perfect, or, you know, there wasn't necessarily a protagonist and an antagonist to this movie. Everybody was sort of shades. So I, I did kind of appreciate that a little bit more. And you kind of wanted to see where it was going, even after the movie was over, what happened to everybody. So mm-hmm. I, I did like that one the most. Mm. And Laura?
2: I, um, I thought the most about Citizen Kane. I think that also has a lot to do with Mank being up for so many awards right now. And it's just, you know, it was a very arresting film that stays with you, the, the performances and stuff. But what I would say I enjoyed the most was The Passion of Joan of Arc. Not enjoyed it as much as I think that film was, is my top of the ones that we've, we've viewed.
0: Because
2: it's about a burning of, of a person. So I, I can't say enjoyed.
0: Right. Mm. Uh.
2: That, that was a running theme through that episode, as I yeah. remember, that we the, kept feeling weird person. about
0: saying enjoyed or, or liked <laughs> or loved or anything. Yeah. So now that we have watched these five movies, I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are, and we've kind of already started to get to, into this, uh, on the whole sight and sound poll. Um, has watching these films given you any appreciation for it or... Sounds like more the opposite in some cases, maybe, or maybe I'm overgeneralizing there. Is there anything you're hoping for from the films on the list as we continue to move forward and watch more, or is it too soon to tell? And Alicia, do you want to start us off since you kind of already got the ball rolling a little bit ago?
4: Yeah, my biggest complaint with the list is something we already talked about, the lack of diversity on there. And I think there's a few movies that, like Steven said, are just kind of grandfathered in and... I was thinking about this earlier today. I think there's although there's definitely something to be said for originating something or being the first movie to do something. Um if somebody did it better later, <laughs> mm. I'd rather watch that, you know. I mean, I'd rather I'd rather see some somebody that did it better be on like the list because I'd rather see like the more entertaining the more thought provoking, whatever it may be version than just necessarily the first. Um, Not that I think any of the movies that we watched other than the Magnificent Ambersons has been like bad so far. And even the Magnificent Ambersons, I don't think it's like outright bad. I think um yeah, it just suffer. It just suffers from the ending and then, and then it's just kind of on there just because of reputation. So I think it's just kind of a stodgy list.
0: Right. So I, I've, Forgot to mention that I was actually trying to advocate for taking Citizen Kane off the list and putting Velvet Goldmine on. So it sounds like you're behind (laughs) (laughs) 100%, definitely. They perfected the form. (laughs) Okay. Um, And Mia, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think stodgy is definitely the word I would use. I'm curious to see if my opinion changes as we get into more newer movies, Um, Mm -hmm. because I think all these movies like what was the newest of the
0: movie that we watched? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was Tokyo Story. Right, which yeah, was like was 1954 52, 53. 53. Okay. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, we haven't we didn't watch a single movie from the last 70 years. And I know there's no movies, there's no movies from this century on the list, I believe. And The last film was on there from 1980. 1980, yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think overall, you know, I certainly hope when they do the poll again next year that there's some movies from the last 40 years on there. And that some of the maybe older ones that are more on there because of the story or or not the story, like the story around the movie, I meant, not Mm -hmm. the story in the movie, um, are bumped down or off, Um, you know, I certainly hope that there's more diversity in the stories that are told and in the people who are making those movies.
0: Lauren, how about you?
1: Um, It's definitely given me a huge
2: appreciation for the list and learning from it. And I mean, it's flawed. Anything, there's obviously, it definitely needs more to All that stuff you guys are saying is 100% true, but the fact that I'm getting to see these films Um, I just think anyone who really cares about film should understand like Roshman. I didn't enjoy it, but it has launched, you know, a thousand movies. Um, So many different, you know, TV shows have taken the form, all these things have come from it. So it's good for someone like me who cares about, you know, and I not to say that you guys don't, I'm not saying that I'm just, (laughs) it's it's just i really appreciate sitting down watching it having it in context for the time of when it came out what it was up against and how it was received what happened i'm enjoying that aspect a lot
3: steven how about you most of these movies i haven't seen but i have heard of i've heard of a lot of them and they're on the list for a reason because they are movies that were crafted in a deliberate in a deliberate manner um, and so every movie I've seen, whether I've liked it or not, it was done with care. Like they, they really did structure a story and they tried to have a point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, if you have a doubt for that, just watch kind of any movie that you see, like on TBS that was made or a movie you see on an airplane. And a lot of those movies are just sort of like, they're kind of are there, but at least these movies you can talk about and you kind of have an opinion on even if you liked it or not, it's still something that you know, was crafted well. So I I am enjoying the list and it's also caused me to kind of look at other movies that are around that time period just to see, you know, the differences between some of the movies that were made. Like, even if your movie was made in 1954, they're not all going to be like Tokyo Story or 53 are not going to be like Tokyo Story. So um, it's just interesting to see like what kind of rose to the top for that specific year even. Mm -hmm. Um, So so I, you know, I, I am enjoying the list, even though it's some of the movies I wouldn't have necessarily chosen. Um, but I am getting a lot out of it and I'm also looking forward to seeing a color movie because we haven't seen one in color yet. So that's true.
0: And <laughs> thought about that.
3: Yeah. I, I do think it's worth pointing out,
0: uh, that magnificent Ambersons, which has gotten the most flack in this episode hasn't <laughs> like, again, I, I, I know I said it before, but it hasn't been on the list in close to 40 years now. The others have been, um, so those ones have, have been in the top 10, uh, in 2012, uh, I think all the other ones. Well, Rashomon was on the director's list, but not the critic's list. So I think that's worth recognizing that four of the five movies we've watched so far are still considered like classics pretty universally and have been on the list recently as, you know, in the most recent one of these 10 year lists. But that, I think that gets to something for me. I'd like that this thing is supposed to be, a time capsule of, of what is influential or considered influential every 10 years. I think that it has gotten stodgy. And that was that's kind of one of the things that's kind of ironically drawn me to it. Because I'm like, why do they keep putting these same fucking movies on here all the time? There's been other movies that have come out since Raging Bull, which is the movie that Laura alluded to 1980, from 1980. Yeah. That's the the most recent movie that has made it into the top 10 of the sight and sound poll. There's other movies more recent than that that have been included in the longer form of it that you can look up. But in the top 10, um, 1980 is the most recent movie. And that's kind of bizarre and crazy and just shows, I think, a problem with critics sometimes that they get sort of caught up in, in, in sort of maintaining an idea rather than advancing it. And I'm really hope that like a lot of what's happened in recent years culturally um, is going to affect that because we've seen these conversations starting to happen like with the Academy Awards to some degree, I would argue not enough, but it's at least good that they're making motions towards that of like inviting more people in. And there's been a lot more discussion of building diversity in filmmaking, both in front of and behind the camera. And going back to the Oscars, just because it's a very visible marker of it, there's been more people nominated in the big categories. Like we have the first Muslim actor being nominated for an Academy Award this year. We have several um, actors of lead actor. actor. Yes, you're right. Lead actor. We have several people who are Asian who were nominated. And I I don't think that that's happened before to this degree. So I, I do think that there's motion in the, the right way. It's never fast enough. But again, like that's why I've always been sort of drawn to paying attention to this stupid list that comes out every 10 years, because I love it, even though it's kind of dumb at the same time. And I, I love it because I think it shows things that are worth going to. And I agree with both Laura and I think Stephen kind of pointed that out too, that it's a good resource of things to look at but I, I think it's also a good marker of what needs to change. So that's why I'm curious what will happen next year.
4: I just wanted to say that I do think also that there's so many films that are important that are on the list and I am enjoying and I do appreciate the list. I do not want to make it sound like I think this list is, you know, bullshit or something and I don't want to watch these movies. Fuck this I don't, list. Yeah, I don't I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> I just think it, you know, it, I just think it needs some tweaks. But also... it's a good thing to keep in mind that like women and and people of color like in in the era when movies were first being made probably the first 70 years of filmmaking were not being given the opportunities to make these movies so that's probably another reason why they're not represented on the list
1: first let me say Stephen, i take Deep offense at your offense of plane movies. So I just want to put that in there.
4: Um, <laughs> Stephen has so many airplane movie opinions. Oh my gosh. I know. I, and know I
1: thought he
3: really knew a lot. I flew a lot for work. I've seen a lot of those movies. Me too. Yeah. I thought
1: you were pro yeah. airplane movies, but now I am. But, you
3: know, I don't think about them after I get off the plane most of the time, unless it's with Melissa McCarthy. I thought you were talking about planes <laughs> movies for a second. I was, I was like, wait, did he dog on those?
1: <laughs> yes, the two like sidecar podcasts I'm starting planes in the air and then planes on the ground movies. Um, not enough planes <laughs> movies, I have to say, from our Google search Saturday night trying to find something. But, anyways, again, another podcast. What I would say is I liked what you said, Jeremiah, about this list being a time capsule because I think it does show like it's a snapshot of every 10 years in a way that other best list I think tend to just like change and yeah I'm sure you could go back and look at what the older one was but it's more like oh the top 100 movies gets updated not as much like every 10 years um but to me in that way it's also like it's a time capsule that is clearly just like not being updated and it just what Alicia was saying like sure you know women and people of color probably weren't being given, definitely weren't being given the opportunities to make these movies or, you know, be star in them. Um, but at the same time, to me, it's like, it just shows like, okay, if you have mostly white male critics and white male directors, they're going to choose movies that, overall, not every single one, that speak to their experiences. And then that's what's going to get established as, like, these are the classic movies in the same way that, like, these are the classic books that we read. Um, You know, I'd be curious if any movies on this list pass the Bechdel test of, like, centering a woman's story not in relation to a man. And maybe they do. I don't know. Obviously, I haven't watched all of them. but, yeah, so just to me, I think it's, like, good. I'm glad that the list is here. I certainly hope it's, like, very updated if with the next one. But at the same time, I guess just to me, it's, like, worth, like, taking this with, like, a grain of salt of, like, these are people that we've given this position of, like, authority and power to and asked to make a list. But I'd be curious to see a list that is entirely composed of, like, or at least is more representative of women and directors of color and see what they come up with as their version of the sight and sound poll. Because I bet it would be different.
0: To the critics' point, I think that's the important thing here, is because this started as a critics' poll. The director's poll has only been done the last three times they've done it. And I really do hope that they invite more uh, diverse critics to participate in the poll this time around. Uh, cause there's, I, I, I do think that that's another part of the discussion that's happened in recent years, as far as movies are concerned, is that in addition to people needing to be employed in front of, and behind the cameras, there need to be critical voices who can lift things up. Like you're saying that, that has been part of the discussion in culture. So it'll be interesting to see if sight and sound sort of acknowledges that and actually does something about it. And hopefully Makes their list a little more relevant because, like, I really do think it's stupid that Raging Bull is the most recent movie. Like, it's so dumb. So it's dumb. Was- I, 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 hate, I hate that. Call movie it dumb. That's another one. I don't call think. Call it should be dumb. There. It
1: seems. I like expensive. the movie. I like *Raging Bull*. I, like I it. haven't seen it.
0: I'm not dismissing the movie. I'm dismissing the idea that the most recent movie that they could pick in 2012, the last time they well, did won- this, was a movie from 1980. I think it's just so. And they got they got a lot of flack for that at the time. So I'm I'm not like so, like out on a limb here saying this or anything, but
3: like I just think it's so ridiculous. So what that they were didn't the parameters?
2: Do we know? what those are when you when they're choosing these?
3: Yeah, do they have to have a movie that's been like out for 20 or 30 years before they choose it? Like, could they have chosen one from 20? I don't think it matters when the
0: movie came out. Uh, Cause I, I mean, I remember people talking in 2012 about like, oh, will Mulholland Drive make it in there? Will In the Mood for Love make it in there? And those both what? made it, I think to the top 25 or 30, but not into the top 10 and people were disappointed about it. Hmm. I would
1: be curious to see what are the more recent movies that haven't made the top 10, but have made the list? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Cause assuming that those are probably the ones that have the best shot at getting into the top 10 um, or at least advancing higher up on the list. And I think would just maybe also show the direction uh, that the critics and the directors are moving in, in terms of what kind of newer movies they're interested in. I would also be curious to know, like, who are these people? Like, what is the gender and racial breakdown of this? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you were talking about the Oscars, but the Hollywood, what is the award that the Hollywood foreign press do? Golden Globes. Golden Globes, Globes. yes. And it's like, okay, they have no black journalists. Like, this is trash. I'm sorry. Like, Mm -hmm. your opinions are not, you're not taking in the full range of like human experience into Mm -hmm. the people you're asking to vote on these things. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a flawed system. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I, I think this stuff is... Stuff we can find out like they they in the most recent round or two, at least I think of the poll, they have published critics and directors lists so you could see who they are. You can see what they voted for individually and then kind of do the math to see how you ended up with what was actually in the in the aggregate list. Um, so I do think that's something worth looking into. I'm going to go ahead and pitch something <laughs> to you guys on mic that I can cut out if nobody goes for it. Um, Homework, But I have a feeling you guys are going to be into this. I had the idea when thinking about this that at some point I think we should get another round or two at least of these under our belt of like watching some of these and kind of like getting to the bottom of what we think goes into being one of these movies and then kind of do what you were saying, Mia, of like look at the movies that have almost made it. And also movies that have come out since 2012, because I think there are certainly movies that are probably good enough to really be considered um, and maybe do a round where we nominate a movie that we hope will be on the 2022 list that has never been or or like say there has to be something since Raging Bull. (laughs) <laughs> or something uh, like that yeah. <laughs>
1: like literally for that there hasn't been like a new movie in the top 10 on my life in my lifetime on this list that's crazy yeah me
4: neither me neither me i mean yeah. neither. i'm sure none of us i'm sure none of us
0: yeah. i'm 25 <laughs> it's a shame it's a real shame yeah. how about we get to our listener feedback so we we do say this every episode but we don't want this podcast and the five of us to be all that the Stereoactive Movie Club is, it's, it's just part of it, but w- what we want it to be is more of an open discussion for people who do just like movies. And it's been great to have some people really take to that idea in our Facebook group. Uh, I think we've all enjoyed both the feedback we've received on the show, but also the conversations that have happened there to some degree, independent of the podcast aspect of things. And we have some questions and comments from people that we wanted to highlight here. I think this one is very relevant, the first one. It kind of has already been touched on earlier in the show and just now in what we were talking about. Um, this is from Charlie, who who said, or asked, considering how the panel has a nice balance of women on it, I'm interested in overall thoughts on the portrayal of women in the five films. Joan, uh, Joan Susan, Tomi, and Shige, the, uh, the wife in Rashomon, and to a lesser extent, Isabel Amberson, are all memorable depictions of women as women in a very different context from those in the films, how did the depictions resonate with the panel? What is frustrating about the depictions? What is most interesting about one or some of them? So would one of you want to take that first?
2: You know, I've said it before and we've also kind of ragged this movie to death a little bit, The Magnificent Ambersons. The portrayal of women, all of them in that movie, just made me want to punch someone. Like from (laughs) the ridiculous mother letting her brat son holding her to her bosom and just petting him while he has a little tantrum or his, the girlfriend that is like a sociopath, but also semi in love with the dad and the <laughs> hysterical aunt that they probably prescribed tons of drugs and a vibrator for <laughs> in her Freudian therapist's <laughs> office. I mean, they were just all they had, none of them had agency and it was really frustrating to watch. Um, I didn't feel that in the other films. Um, I was struggling with Roshman just in terms of the act, how the acting was so that I'm I'm just sort of putting that aside because I think in a way I'm still making sense of that film for myself. I respect it. It definitely stands the test of time, but I wouldn't go into the portrayal of women in it because I'm not sure 100% how I feel about it yet. But um, but the, And with Joan, she was so much smarter than everyone. I think that's what bothered everyone. Every answer that she gave just was had the perfect amount of just pious, like, honesty and also, like, a fuck you to everyone and all of their bad motivations for asking her the question. And it's essentially what got her killed, I felt.
1: So that was my take. I agree with you, Laura. Like, she's very smart and... I think is the one who's the most like, I mean in Tokyo story, there's this too, but like she's so singular. Joan of of Arc is so singular where I feel like she's the one out of all the movies to me. Who's like really standing on her own two feet and like making her own way in the world where the women in Tokyo story, not that they aren't, especially I think it's Shige who's the, she's the beautician. Mm -hmm. right yeah like she's totally Mm -hmm. like i run the show i wear the pants in my relationship i'm the boss of this like you know obviously (laughs) she's doing it but she's still part of this like web of her family and the web of her business and web of like the greater society around her um the women in magnificent amberson they're all terrible god that movie is like a fever dream to me like just like none of their reactions made sense either Mm -hmm. too elevated or not elevated enough or it like reminds me of like a David Lynch movie, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, yeah, I would just kind of agree on on pretty much everything. Yeah, the I mean, in the Orson Welles films, the women are just somebody, they're just someone's daughter, someone's love interest, someone's mother. They're not like... Their own thing at all. They're only there in relation to the male characters. Um, Joan of Arc obviously, I think, benefits from having been a real person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we have like transcripts of her trial, and and obviously she's an inspirational figure, um, just in real life. So, so that's great. And it was, it was, yeah, I really enjoyed that film. Um and yeah, the Tokyo story too. I really, I really liked how he I thought it was like a realistic portrayal of men and women I thought he got to a truth a universal truth that just transcended gender um even though maybe it doesn't pass the Bechdel test I'm trying to think if there's a scene there is definitely a scene with the mother and the daughter-in-law but I they're, do think they're discussing they're talking her son about a man yeah. yeah so I don't think it does pass but um but uh yeah, and then Rashomon, I'm kind of on the same page with you, Laura. I don't really know what to think about the portrayal of the woman in that film. And I think it's also because it was directed by a man that he, she she gets her say, but I don't know if I believe that that's necessarily how women woman would be, have behaved in that situation, even given the historical context and everything. Um, I just don't know if I believe that. <laughs> so I think as long as you don't have a a real person to draw from or a real uh female giving you like valid input and you taking her input about the female characters I don't know that you're ever really gonna I don't know that a man is ever really gonna fully be able to get to the truth of uh, the way a woman would react in a situation so
1: yeah and I think Rashomon it's so much about what is truth is there one truth and mm-hmm. I've been reading this article about memory and how so much of our you know people used to think that your memories were just like oh they're in this lockbox, and you like think back on it and there's your memory there but it's like no we can you know change I could change your memories by using different words when I'm asking Mm -hmm. you about it or Mm -hmm. you know just the way that you and your emotions tie into it um so to me with Rashomon yeah I just feel like I don't even know what the what her true portrayal was in that movie because it was all these different stories there. Yeah. So that one's that one's harder. I feel like I need to think about it more.
3: With her though, it was kind of interesting because like you felt in a way that she was saying how she thought society wanted her to react to this and that you know she was <laughs> not like she was making it up but just like she knew what she needed to tell everybody else to have them believe her. And they needed to kind of, she had to kind of come to terms with that. Um, So we really don't know where she was coming from and what really happened when you think about it.
4: Yeah, she was trying to, just like the men, she was trying to cast herself in the best light. Right. And when she was giving her side of the story, but then when the men were were giving their side of the story, it was like, she was manipulative. She was, you know she was enjoying it. She was whatever, you know, which are Mm -hmm. things that you have to always, if you're, I don't, hopefully men do it too. But if you're a woman, you're definitely going to be like, yeah, I don't know. about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know about that.
0: And then from Teresa after our episode on the Magnificent Ambersons, she asked, uh, has it ever been revealed what the original ending was supposed to be? So I'd actually been wondering that too. And I tried to look it up. As far as I can tell, I think the answer is essentially no, but I think that's largely because Wells may not have known what it would be himself, which I was kind of referring to earlier. Um, I believe he wanted to reshoot or recut the ending that he'd originally made because they'd had that test screening, I think we discussed, and then he just wasn't given the power to be the one to control how they redid stuff. That's kind of what happened there. So we don't, um, I don't think it's necessarily as simple as, the ending he shot and screened was what we would have seen if he'd kept control you know like he might have done something completely different
2: i think we could surmise a few things from it though i think sure. um well from the interviews with Bogdanovich and just the way that he wanted the decay of the family portrayed i don't right. think there would have been any happy ending for george
0: yeah totally all. totally i mean yeah he he was on the record that, as saying that kind of thing sure yeah yeah testament I I think there's this misperception sometimes. And this makes me think stupidly of the Snyder cut of Justice League of like people who don't like work in movies. A lot of times think it's just like, okay, you shoot a thing and then you put it out, you know, but that's Mm. not really how it works. And that's not how they were doing that movie. They had a test screening. Nobody liked the way it went, including Orson Welles, who was going to make changes. He didn't get to make the changes he wanted. So the studio made the changes they wanted instead. So he didn't make. Anything, and he was able to then talk about it for fifty years after that. Of like, <laughs> I would have made the perfect movie, uh, which maybe he would have. We don't know. Maybe. But uh, I did find this interesting. I had not seen this before. Um, while I was looking into this, I saw that in his interviews with Peter Bogdanovich, um, which for people he he was like a big acolyte of Orson Welles, and he put these interviews together in a book called "This Is Orson Welles." Uh, but he said that he'd even planned to shoot a new ending for it. In the '60s, I guess, decades later, mm-hmm. uh, when the, with the cast that was still alive at that time, and it would have had an, a, a different ending with them all 20 years older, and that would have been Joseph Cotton and Baxter who played that uh, sociopathic daughter that Laura right. just yeah. does not <laughs> my like. Favorite, my favorite.
2: Part.
0: Yeah, Agnes Moorhead and her vibrator, <laughs> and Tim Holt, uh, the uh, the shitty son so they would be a link in in letter
2: this. before link letters came. yeah
0: totally I didn't think about that um but yeah so th- I think that would have been Interesting, but apparently this guy, like, there's someone who was going to buy the movie and let Orson Welles do this, and then he just sort of disappeared. So who knows if this is even real? It could be, like, one of those Orson Welles drunken, like, He was pretty batty or... back then yeah. at that point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So who knows? I
4: can I can only imagine what the hair would have looked like in a 1960s version of this. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah. I just don't want to see that.
1: Right, right. <laughs> so, so what would have been the ending then i'm so curious like is lucy and her dad that's the only part i have like teased out in my head they would just be like this is still creepy like father like daddy daughter couple living in some house together like what would george have done just been like a lawyer this whole time or something (laughs) like what (laughs) does anyone have any ideas about like what this end would have been
3: no idea Yeah, well, they would have had a kid, probably. And maybe the kid would have been a jerk, too.
2: George would have been in a wheelchair and um, they would have been walking down the street and he he would be asking for money. And all of a sudden she'd recognize him and they would fall in love again, even though she hates him because he's pretty hateable. So that's what would happen, I think. I believe it. Yeah,
3: (laughs) I think they definitely would have gotten back together, though.
2: Yeah, totally. It was like he'd be selling pencils pretending he's blind. It's like trading places would come into it and it would, yeah, so much would happen.
1: What, what if Lucy was like, my dad's gross, this guy is a loser and just like had, you know, made her own way <laughs> in the world and become this like super, like the last 20, the 20 minutes of the movie totally passes the Bechdel test and she's <laughs> like this like first, you know, largest company in the world, first female owner or something like that.
4: She got off she the drugs. She,
2: she wouldn't know how to spell that. <laughs> she,
4: she could team up with the aunt and they could go into business. They run like the Grace boarding and house. and Frankie taking and sex vibrators. Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Boarding <laughs> house and vibrators. Yes. Oh, my God. Applause, applause. They run the Barbizon and like all the ladies go there and they're like, here's your room key. No men upstairs. Here's your vibrator. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um,
0: and this isn't exactly feedback, but it's something from the Facebook group. Laura, you recently posted about watching both the Seventh Seal and the Seventh Sign. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. curious, did you ever end up watching Bill and Ted's bogus journey to complete your trilogy?
2: No, I didn't. That's mm-hmm. definitely on my list. But I have to say, I do enjoy the seventh sign. I know it's a joke film in terms of, you know, to me more in the whole end of the world thing. But I still I think that love
3: movie them. isn't given enough credit.
2: It's to me it's like Sigmata. They're like Catholic, you know, no. guilt, bloody. Bad <laughs> and I just love them. I love every minute of them. They're you had me until Stigmata. Huh? Oh, no. <laughs> They're just really fun movies. Yeah.
4: Uh, All I guess- can remember about Stigmata is that she's like, she just runs out into traffic at she some runs point.
2: But with her 90s, like,
4: baby bangs. Yeah, bangs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> Gabriel Burns, like a hot priest.
0: Mm, of course, yeah, the,
4: mo- the movie lost yeah. me when she ran out into traffic. That the I traffic think I la- I think I laughed out loud in the movie theater when that happened, <laughs> and I was just like, "Eh."
0: I never saw Stigmata. I have that not grouped good. in my head with Devil's Advocate, <laughs> though. No, they're not the same. Uh, no. Nah. No? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I saw that one, so I guess it's... it's not that. um
1: Wait, can I say a Bill and Ted thing real quick? So oh, I should watch that. Yeah, some something in the podcast about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, they pointed out that at the end, when Mr. Hand goes over to Spicoli's and they're going over history, they're like, this is how Bill and Ted started. Like, this is totally the genesis of that. And I was like, oh, my God, my mind is blown. <laughs> so if you feel like rewatching Fast Times at Ridgemont High, just keep yeah. an eye out for that scene. And
0: you know who one of the historical characters is in the first Bill and Ted?
1: Spicoli.
0: Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc and oh, Spicoli, shit. yes. Made by Jane <laughs> my yes. favorite go-go. Mm. Is that the that Did any...
4: I never put that together. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sorry, Did anybody see the most recent Bill and Ted? Yeah. Yeah, me too. It was okay.
0: It was whatever. I
2: haven't. Me I'm neither. Gonna...
0: I think they should have stopped after two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so should we get to our actual picks
2: yeah let's do it oh my god i forgot we
0: were even doing that (laughs) (laughs) um okay so for our first episode we decided that we'd pick movies in order of who'd seen the fewest movies on the list we're picking from with the person who'd seen the fewest picking first that was mia at that time so this time Mia's going to pick last and everyone's basically just going to move up a spot so first up is steven
3: Um, The movie that I have chosen for us to do next is The General by Buster Keaton, or starring Buster Keaton, I should say, um, made in 1926. Um, The reason why I picked this movie is because I haven't seen a Buster Keaton movie ever, and also it's kind of funny because in a lot of 80s sitcoms, they always were going to like a Buster Keaton film festival or they wanted to go on a first date with some <laughs> girl or whatever. And they're like, there's a Buster Keaton film festival happening at the Rialto. And so I've always been curious to see how good those movies were since they were obviously film festival worthy.
0: Okay. And Laura.
2: Cool. Cool pick, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to choose The Bicycle Thief. Cause I've never seen it and I'm Italian and I would like to keep my Italian card intact. So we're going to watch that.
0: <laughs> it's a good reason.
2: Well, it, you know, actually, cause um, Alicia's friend, Charlie, talked about how he did the bicycle thief tour in Italy. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded like such a cool idea. And mm-hmm. I just never even got around to watching the film. So it's like something that has to change.
0: Okay. And Alicia, how about you?
4: I am choosing L'Aventura um, which is also an Italian film. It's an Antonioni and um, I chose it because I've, as far as I know, I don't think I've ever seen anything by Antonioni before. Uh, so I'm interested in it and the plot sounded interesting to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited.
0: Okay. Um... I had bicycle thieves as a maybe. I was gonna pick on the fly. I had three choices here. (laughs) Uh, Since we talked so much about like the recency issue, I'm gonna pick one of the more recent movies on the list that I haven't seen. It's still from only 1975, though. I think Uh, Mirror by Andrei Tarkovsky. It's a Russian. We're we're gonna be getting esoteric in this round. It looks like between Alicia's pick and mine, especially. And Mia, what is your pick?
1: um so my pick is very on theme and it is the godfather so hey yeah Mm -hmm. i'm shocked i was like oh someone's totally gonna pick this um so yeah godfather one because on the poll there's godfather one godfather two and then godfather parts one and two is also a separate entry so just godfather one to keep it straight (laughs) and simple for us um So yeah, and I picked this. I've seen this movie before. I love it. Um, It's been a minute since I've watched it, though. So excited to see it again. And now excited to just like think about Italy and Italian food for the Mm -hmm. next several weeks.
2: You (laughs) You know, as Italian-American growing up in Queens, I always felt sort of like I was in a way cheated out of culture. Um, But it's just, in truth, it's just something very different where food and family has always been part of it. And these... The mob films is also a part of it. You know, it's just, it's interesting how how little I know about Italy and the culture there. And it's just, they're just so separate. It'd be interesting to combine the two in this, in this round.
0: There we go. Um, and we have a special surprise for our listeners. We invited a friend of all of ours to join us in this upcoming round. Our buddy JPK also picked a movie and he'll be joining us for an episode where we'll be discussing that pick. So here is a clip of JPK telling us about his pick and why he picked it.
2: Hey, this is JPK and um, I'm sitting in with the Stereoactive Movie Club and the film I chose is John Ford's The Searchers. And I guess the reason why I picked this movie is because... Is this still an important film? Uh, it's a, it's something I think about uh, often, actually, because it's, uh, I don't know how relevant it fits in today's world. But yeah, I hope, uh, yeah, I guess we'll figure it out. I don't know. All right, um, I'll talk to you all soon. Uh, take it easy. Bye.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love That's, exact, that's so exactly more. how I thought he was going
3: to do it. It's exactly perfect.
2: What, what a great choice. I
1: love
0: it. Yeah. Um, I'll have some things Maybe. to say about that. Me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's sort of a Plains
1: movie. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. And any final thoughts from anyone before we go? I'm, I'm glad you.
3: we're doing a comedy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. One
2: of my final thoughts is I used to have this joke um, because podcasts just all of a sudden blew up and everyone had one. And I would make a joke saying, you know, my next tattoo is I don't want to listen to your fucking podcast. But I (laughs) love doing this so much. And I just, (laughs) I'm such a hypocrite. Like I really enjoy talking about films with my friends. So
1: It's funny that you say that because I actually had a similar one of my like favorite cartoons I've ever seen is like a couple sit or like a man and a woman sitting in a bar and the man is saying, I'm thinking of stopping a podcast. And I just always like cracks me up so much. But anyway, yeah, I'm also very much enjoying doing this.
4: Yeah, this has been fun. I've enjoyed it a lot too. And I would just like to say, please, please interact with us on the Facebook group. Like I definitely want to hear more opinions from people i just want to
3: know what you think yeah ask us questions too so if you feel like yeah if there's something that you want to know of us or Mm -hmm. you know if you have a fun like question about our favorite movie or which movie we hate the most or anything like that then you know add it yeah
1: Yeah. i'm curious to know what people think about the site and sound poll too because obviously we all have our opinions about it but i'd be curious what the folks out there and on Facebook, think.
0: So that's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We do invite you to join us in that Facebook group. And you can also email us at StereoactiveMovieClub at gmail.com. Or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash StereoactiveMovieClub. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.